Welcome, everybody, to a Wednesday edition, Texans All-Access. Oh, I love saying that. Right in the middle of June. Hey, it might be the middle of June, but summer is here, and we could see it today at OTAs. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. We're going to break all of that down, some news. We've got Philip Lindsay we're going to hear from in just a little bit. We've got an In the Lab with Drew Doherty that we will have a little later on, talking about the old line and James Campen. That was a really great interview that we had last night. And we did that interview, me, John, and the voice of the Texans, Mark Vandermeer. Mark, how are you doing, my friend? Welcome to the show. Johnny, I'm doing great. And it was interesting today. We saw the final off-season practice for the Houston Texans until they get to training camp in late July. And I thought it was interesting how they decided not to have the mini camp. They had great attendance during these OTAs. They loved the work they got done. They actually put it out there. They didn't say this till today, and I don't blame them, that they met with the players a while ago and said, hey, if we get great attendance, we get great participation, we will do away. With the mandatory minicamp, you can start your summer break early. And mm -hmm. how much of a break is it really? They're working out through the whole thing. I mean, it's not like, you know what? I can get fat now in the next few weeks because it doesn't matter. But it's great because it gave them that carrot, Johnny. And I think that they're really happy. Obviously, they are with the amount of work they got done. And let's rock and roll, baby. Training camp starts soon enough. No doubt. Now. Uh, we'll get to uh, a piece of news and we'll talk about OTAs before we get to Philip Lindsay. But I really feel like I need to opine my opinion okay. because I knew as soon as I heard, as soon as I heard that minicamp was going to be canceled, I thought about two things. Number one, I thought about the Eagles and the Colts. And I'll explain mm -hmm. why. The Eagles and the Colts, I read this back in May. The Eagles and the Colts both met with their players sat down and came to a sort of agreement of this is what our off season is going to be. Mm -hmm. Both the Eagles and the Colts had no mandatory mini camp. Oh, oh no mandatory <laughs> mini camp for the Eagles or the Colts. The Buccaneers basically had all of the young guys practicing. And then Tom Brady and his crew would come over and practice with no coaches. Oh, Oh, my God, a split squad. Mm -hmm. The vitriol about no mandatory minicamp is absurd. Mm. It makes me like I, I want to vomit when I hear it. I think back to 2007, Mark. Okay, so let me first of all, let me ask you a quick question. What's more important, OTAs, minicamp, or training camp? Uh, training camp is more important, John. Training camp is more important, right? Yeah. Well, on the first day of training camp in 2007, the New York Giants. Now, that year and that name should sound familiar, right? 2007 Giants. Hey, that team won a Super Bowl, right? Mm -hmm. You know what they did in the first day of minicamp? Or the first day of tra training camp. Sorry, not minicamp. Training camp. You know what they did in the first day of training camp? They went bowling. <laughs> oh, they didn't go and spend two hours of meetings, which they could have. They didn't go uh, and look back at you know, the way that the 2006 season ended, and it was dreadful. No, the future Super Bowl champions went bowling. And we're talking about two days of mandatory minicamp. Oh, by the way, every single year that I've been here, which, which basically is the Bill O'Brien years, from 2014 on, minicamp was always cut down anyways. Yeah, sure. It was always cut down. 
So you got teams that sat with their players and said, look, let's talk about this. Let's figure this out. Because it was either that or nothing for, for all, all the league's teams. And every team came to some sort of agreement about what they were going to do in their OTAs. Do we wear helmets? Do we not? Some teams didn't even put on a freaking helmet during OTAs in many camps. <gasps> oh, how can you not go on a field without a helmet? Oh, but the Texans had helmets on. And oh, by the way, do we know what happened in San Francisco yesterday? What happened in San Francisco, not Johnny? Not one, but two 49ers suffered season-ending injuries. Mm. Season-ending injuries with no pads, no helmets, and nothing going on. Now, that can always – that can scare me a little bit. Do we need the two practices? Eh. Oh, by the way, here's another one. The rookie immersion program, if we're all worried about how many reps Davis Mills is going to get, Nico Collins needs to do this. Well, guess what? The rookie immersion program continues. Is it out on the field? No, but they have the coaches – to themselves for the next week or so. Yeah. I'd much rather have that than go out on a field where you've only got five receivers right now because – and they're running all these routes in 90-degree heat. They're dying. Mm. And they got, they got a little break. taste of it. They got a little taste of it. And look, to your uh, point, Yeah, exactly. You know, they, I thought it was good that they got a little taste of it this week. You know, yeah. a little taste of the summer. This is the summer preview. You know, Lindsay's going to tell us about that. Philip Lindsay's going to tell us about that soon enough. But – I really think that when you look around the league, Johnny, remember what this offseason is. There was no offseason last year except for the Zoom meetings. Yeah. This year, the union was encouraging players not to show up. So right. in order to get the players to show up, you basically designed a program that they and you would mutually agree upon was a good program for you. And that's what the Texans did with their players. People are going to be all hot and bothered so not everybody, if they see some mini camp practices next week. But the fact is the Texans, and we don't have the stats as far as off-season program participation, but the Texans are as good as anybody, if not better, as far as the amount of people they got in here, and they do like the work they got done. And again, the carrot was out there that you could miss mini camp, possibly if they felt good about the work that was accomplished, and they do, and here we are. So let's see what happens in training camp. Next. Yeah, exactly. So I sort of lost my, my mind a little bit because I knew exactly what was going to happen. I knew, well, it was gonna, this, is a, this is a missed opportunity. This team was 4-12 and 12 last year. I mean, their team, I mean, look, Carson Wentz, you don't think Carson Wentz going to the Indianapolis Colts could have used another week of OTAs, much less a minicamp? Mm -hmm. eh, probably. But then again, how many guys do we know, do we know are banged up? aren't able to do things that you want to kind of take the, the, the load management on at this point. I mean, it's just infuriating to know and to hear such, Oh, this is such, to, to denigrate the Texans for this particular maneuver. Miss yeah, me well, with this. Well, look, there's been uh, we all know it's been a strange conclusion of the season off season with everything that's been happening as far as such mass overhaul that, uh, you know, people 
people are going to say what they're going to say, Johnny. You just have to play some games and see what you can do and hopefully start winning, you know, and I don't know when that's going to happen. Like I hope it happens week one and we get off to a great start and take it from there. Uh, but as far as how they're handling this off season uh, on the field, look, you and I have seen it. We've gotten more looks than the rest of the media and so far, so good. You are where you are. It's early June, or it's not even that early anymore. Let's just see what happens in camp. That's the next step, and you got to take it from there because what they've done in the building and on the field has been extremely positive. Now, yes. how is it versus the rest of the league? Very difficult to measure, and as we mentioned, it's been a, an odd offseason for the entire NFL. Usually teams get 100% participation at OTAs. You know what? Nobody got that this year, but the Texans did very well overall, and they'll take it from there. I'm sorry. I was just a little hot and bothered about this because it feels like all offseason, anything the Texans have done, there's been a negative slant to it. Now they do the absolute right thing with their players, what they sat down and they communicated with them what they believed in and what they thought about this mm -hmm. and got a ton of participation during this, uh, this offseason. And, and the response is this, it, it makes, it makes me, it frustrates me, Mark. It frustrates me. All right. Piece of news. This came down today. I was a, I was a little shocked to see it, but I hate seeing this, but it was just a guy who unfortunately uh, just was unable to stay healthy. And that's Duke edge of four. Yeah. And I think what frustrates me, Mark, about Duke being released today by the team is the fact that Duke tore his Achilles in workouts, getting ready for the season back in May of 2019. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 2019. And then on the last play of practice of the very first practice of 2020, he gets shoved from behind and he tears his ACL. I mean, the guy really just bad luck, and I hate that. Yep. I really felt like they had found something in the sixth round, and he was going to do something. A Houston homeboy, a guy from here, but – uh, just unfortunate, Duke Edgeford, just unable to stay healthy. Yeah, and that's a big problem. Obviously, in this league, that's, you know, it's everything. That's the greatest currency, health. Because if you're out there, you can improve. You can get better. You can practice. You can hone your craft. Can't make the club in the tub. All of it. Uh, and it's not like he's Benny Jopru's second-round draft choice. But where he was drafted, Johnny, for yeah. where he was drafted, we had some, I don't, I don't want to call them high hopes, but some definite optimism yeah. and positive feelings about what he could accomplish as a Houston Texan. And it comes to an end today and it doesn't mean it's the end of his career either. Right. But after a while teams decide, you know what, we got to move on. Uh, look at Philip Lindsay, who we're about to hear from, yeah. you know, Denver look, last year, he was making big plays, had a hundred yard game against new England. He's a guy who can certainly help your team, but they felt like injury issues mean they have to move on change of scenery sometimes makes all the difference in the world. Let's see what happens with Philip. No doubt. And we are going to hear from Philip Lindsay, newest Texans running back. Well, he's not the newest, but he's new to the team this year, man. They've had three new running backs. My goodness. <laughs> he's, he's not even the most recent hasn't played a game yet. But let's hear from, Philip Lindsay, Texans running back right about now. Philip Lindsay joining us on Texans radio right now. Phillips, how do you feel the OTA part of this season went? Your introduction to Houston, everything from in the building to the practice field. Yeah, everything went smooth. Uh, I think that, you know, this is my first time ever having to leave state. Honestly, I, I played high school in Colorado. I went to University of Colorado. I played with Denver. So for me, I was comfortable. 
So coming here was out of my out of my comfort zone. I have a one year old uh, son and a fiance, and so it was new for us, you know. So we was already shell shocked at the beginning. So I was already on edge and really protective over that because you just I never had to leave. We got to the building, uh, and you know you get around your teammates, and even though like you know you don't know them now, but you've played against a lot of them because we're all new pretty much. And it's, it's just good to get in there. And we all feel the same. We're all trying to do the same things. And, uh, you know, that's one goal is to win. You know what I mean? Come in here and do our part. There's a reason why they brought us in here. Uh, not to just twiddle our fingers and pick our noses, but to come up with a ways to be explosive and win. So uh, seeing my teammates and, and seeing their motivation and what, what they want to prove, uh, it made me feel a lot more comfortable because the kind of guy I am is I, I like to compete and I'm fiery. And uh, I want to win, you know. I mean, I, and and I'm tired. Of, you're already tired of people talking about us like bad ways when they don't even know what's going to happen. So yeah, you're not going to get that from us, Philip. I think we learned everything that we needed to know about you back in 2018 because I was standing about 10 yards away when a former player for the Texans hit you on a swing route, <laughs> and I thought he's done. Like there's no way he's getting up. And you you pop right back up. You got in his face and you continued on with that game. I thought, this is a tough dude. And I continue to watch your career blossom. And the one thing that comes to mind when I watch you is you play with such a chip on your shoulder, it seems. It feels like you go out on the field, just like you said, you want to prove people wrong, yet you played at such a high level. Where does that chip on your shoulder come from, the way yeah. you play? I mean, I think that one, I think that's who I am anyway. I'm, I'm a fiery person. I'm mean. When I get on the field, like I'm all, I'm all in on my teammates. That's all I care about. I'm going to do everything I got. I'm 190 pounds. You're going to get 190 pounds of me. That's, that's it. But I'm going to do what, all I have to do for us to win the game. Um, I think more so it was not being drafted. I mean, feeling like I, I got disrespected with, with that, as you guys, you know, seen. And feeling like I had to go from the ground up. You know what I mean? They gave me at the time before they got the, all the cute numbers where you get one, two, you got, you. if you was like a, a single digit number as an offensive player, you didn't even have a chance to make the team. And I took that personally. So at the end of the day, I'm going to, I want to make sure that I have a double digit number. And every day I went out there and I just tried to make some plays, just try to make some plays, try to stay consistent with everything. And, you know, once we got to the game, that just, some people, you know, can for me, it's just, it was just slow motion and I was able to just adapt to it. And, and I love the game and I was able, you know, to take what I have and run with it. You know, you, you only get so much in this league, so you got to take and run with it when you can. Philip, you said it, you're from Colorado. You played your high school ball there. And didn't you break your dad's rushing record in high school? What was that whole dynamic like when you were hunting for that record? And I know yeah. helping the team win, but that came along with it. And then you had to rehab your knee and everything before college. Yeah. What was all of that like for you? I mean, it was, uh, I mean, I can't, we, you know, the, the area that I was from, you know, we all, all the kids, we just had dreams, you know, we didn't have money, but we always wanted to, to be in the NFL, wanted to go to college. And so we all pushed each other to, to stay, you know, out of the streets, you know, stay from the games, from the drugs and just play football. And we were able to do that. And, that's all I worried about. I didn't really care about my pop's record. You know, I thought, you know, if it came, it came and it, and it, it came. And honestly, I got hurt the next play after I, I broke it. So I, oh, wow. obviously it was meant to be. Um, but uh, after that, you know, it's kind of I never really thought about it after that. My pops was proud of me. And, uh, you know, it's you know, it's something that it was special because I got to break it. And he was, you know, 
in the DPS as well. So I think that was more of a special thing is, you know, we stayed in the DPS. And then, you know, like you said, the, I had a hellacious time with my knee. Um, I just didn't have the, the, the money or resources to help me out. So I didn't know nothing about it. The only thing I had to go off of is watching YouTube videos of Adrian Peterson get his knee. And, you know, wow. and, 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 you know, Adrian Peterson had the money at the time to get what he needed to get. I'm thinking, you know, he was just super bionic or whatever. So, but, you know, I got to college and at one point I didn't even think I was going to be able to play. They told me that they didn't know if they were going to be able to get my knee straight. So it was just a whirlwind of stuff. I, I you know, finally, uh, t- this man, Ted Lane, I'll never forget him. He saved my career, uh, worked with me every single day. It got my, my knee straight, uh, redshirted my freshman year. And, uh, the rest was history. I just kept on getting better as that time. And, and I had the same mentality as I do now. And that's just work. I never cared about what people said. Um, I'm, I'm always in there consistently. When people were asleep, I was in there working out. 12 o'clock at night, it didn't matter. I was always in there working out because I wanted to, to get the best out of me as I can. And it paid off as time went on. It didn't go how, you know, a storybook and it would go as perfect. But every, you know, God has this mysterious ways of helping you out and and, and choosing a, a path if you if you choose the right path that you want to go on to help you out. So I believe in that. Phil, if you mentioned a little earlier, you said we get all this 190 pounds, but we all know football players. By the end of the season, that 190 turns into 185, maybe down <laughs> to 180. And so when you see a running back that's that size, you think, okay, he's a bounce runner. He's guys going to show inside, but he's going to bounce. But we watch you, and it's like, no, he's going to hit an A and a B gaps. For people yeah. that haven't seen you play, how would you describe the way you run and what's important to you as a running yeah. back? Yeah, so my father taught us at a young age. Uh, one thing he always told us is if you want to be a running back, you got to be able to run inside. So when we started, I was a fullback in Little League, and we did the wing tee. So, you yeah. know, you was always in, in, in stuff, so you were always having to, to, to maneuver around people and stuff. Well, that's honestly, that's, that's training your body. It's training your eyes to find little holes and things like that. And as I got older, you know, I got faster, I got stronger, and I, I had the same mentality. You know, I, I'm going to run inside because I, I don't need a bunch of space to make someone miss. I'm quick enough to, to, to make boom and get back upfield. I know I got to get point A to point B, and I know the fastest way is downhill, but I also know how to set people up. And as I got going, I learned how to be more patient with myself, patient with the pullers. And uh, the, my type of running, I, I said, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm a different type of runner. You know, it, um, it's hard to, to get me because I am I'm a sleek runner. I'm not that bulky. So, you know, I think that helps me. And I'm, you know, littler, so it's hard to see me anyway. And, and I'm fast, but I'm also real strong. So, and, you know, I don't know. You know, where, where, where'd you, where would you guys describe it as? I know, how I, I, I know how I would describe it, and it's not going to come off the right way. No, go ahead. But I think it's an asset. I think you run angry. Yeah. I think you run angry. I feel like when I watch you, every single run, as I said earlier, it feels like you are going to take a two-yard run, turn it to a four-yard run. You can take a four-yard run, turn it to a six-yard run. If you yeah. got to run the DB over to, to pick up another three yards, you're going to do that. It feels like you are running angry on every run. Now, I think that's an asset. Because no, you sure. got some, you got some guys that are going to Cadillac it and you know step out of bounds, make a business step decision. out of bounds. Yeah, they're going to make a business decision. And I, like I said, I was standing ten yards away when Kareem hits you, and I thought, my goodness. And a lot of backs are like, you know, put their hand up, come out of the game, and you stay in the game, and you just kept, you kept pounding away. And I was like, man, and the word angry can be a bad thing. It can be, you know, you hear that and say, oh, that guy's well, angry. Yeah. 
but exactly. that's, not, that's not really what I'm trying to say, but just how you run is with such emphasis on, I'm going to make that guy pay. I'm going to make yeah. the right decision, the smart decision. And if I got to run through somebody, I'm going to do it. But you run angry. There's such force in everything that you do. That's how I would describe it. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think it's, it's, a, it's the ability to pick up the force and the strength you have. Because the other thing is people get it twisted. Like you, you, you see somebody lifting weights and you're like, oh, they're strong. You know, they're, they're lifting. But can you correlate that to the field? Can you right. make this little two yards where, you, where you're in front of somebody? Can you, can you conjure that up in your, in your body to be able to explode out of there or hit somebody and keep going? That's, that's what it's about. It's about being able to do things in a box pretty much. And are you that powerful? Are you powerful or are you just strong? Philip, what can you tell us about the passing game part of being a running back yeah. and pass protection and this system and how that part of it's going for you so far? We have some video of you catching passes on air. We haven't seen a lot of the nitty gritty stuff, and I'm sure yeah. mu much of that is coming toward camp. But what can you share with us? Oh, for sure. Um, you know, it, it, as a running back, you got to be able to do protection. Everybody can do protection. It's about the want and and no, and half the battle is knowing where you got to go. If you know who you got point A to point B, you can set yourself up instead of guessing or thinking and, and you put yourself in a situation where, you know, you're not going to win. And I think this year they've done a really good job of uh, this. I want to say maybe my rookie year, uh, we also had uh, the blocking system the same. And it was a lot, you know, it's simpler for, for, for everybody to understand who they got to where to the point where you just got to do your job to the best of your ability instead of always like I got him him and maybe him well now you're 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 thinking and now you're hoping that you're in the right spot here we're going to be able to just be where we need to be boom point a to point b get the block secure it you know and and that's going to help me the other running backs out so much more to protect Tyrod um this season, you know, and that's what it's about. It's about keeping them clean. Now, it ain't got to be the prettiest block. I ain't tell you I'm going to sit here, but as long as that, that quarterback doesn't get touched, that's, I, I've done my job. You know, the catching catching wise, uh, you know, I feel feel good. This is the first year I feel like uh, a team works on the screens. A team works on uh, just like passing in general. You know, I think that uh, with Denver, we didn't do enough catching. And, you know, I, and it showed throughout the throughout the time just because you're not comfortable and you get that opportunity to finally get one. And you're so excited to finally get one that you're like, oh, I can't drop this. I can't drop this. But here you're getting it so much. I mean, every every individual I, I, we catch all the time and you just get more comfortable. with, it. And that's what it's about. It's about comfortable. It's about co being confident. You know, for me, I, I'm ready to show, you know, for some reason, I got that stigma that I can't catch, you know, and. and it's funny because it's, it's there's a lot to it. You know, there's a lot to it that goes on uh, with you, the quarterback, uh, the routes. Like it's, it's a lot to it. And for me, it's just about going out here and 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 being all around running back. And I, I think I'm gonna have a, a great opportunity to showcase that uh, in this offense here. Philip, you mentioned earlier, and I think we all know you played high school. You, you played your entire life in Colorado. Yeah. And every time Mark and I go to Colorado, we wake up on, in the morning of a game. We can't breathe because the altitude is yeah. such a monster. Then you it come is. here and you're getting a little bit of the humidity that we live in here. So I think I know the answer to this because you spent a life and you spent a few months. Yeah. But which one is worse running in all that altitude or in this humidity? No, it's it's honestly the humidity. Like, like I will say, like altitude, I've been like you said, I, it's. Nothing new to me. I didn't even think about the altitude because I lived here my whole life. 
But the humidity, I've never been somewhere where and it's not even hot yet. And I've never been somewhere where you just walk outside and you sweat and you and it's so hot that you can like pick up the the like you can just pick the air up and eat it. That's what it feels like. Like it's just <laughs> and so for me, it's like okay, this is is different, you know, and yeah. you got to be able to hydrate and stuff. See, in Colorado is dry. Now it get hot in Colorado, it get hot, but it, yeah. it's it's dry. All you have to worry about is your breathing and stuff like that. You get that down. Here you gotta worry about the heat, you know. Um you still got to get conditioning. It doesn't matter if you're in, in Colorado or Houston. Condition is conditioning. So it's just, it's a different. It, it really is different, you know. But um, I can see the pros and cons of both sides. Philip, thanks so much for the time. We look forward to seeing you around the building and at training camp. Thanks. All right, man. I'm excited, man. You guys, thank you for your opportunity. I had to pitch myself at certain points in that interview to make sure, like, I'm talking to Philip Lindsay. And then he asked my opinion. That was really, really cool. I don't know if I've ever had a player ask that before, but I was glad to share for sure. And I'm also glad to see James Campen here, O-line coach for your Houston, Texas. Drew Dory and I did an In the Lab about James and the offensive line. We'll have for you next right here on Texas All-Access. 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 Welcome to Texas All-Access. We are brought to you in part by Apache Corporation. Nearly 3 billion people worldwide live in energy poverty, meaning they lack access to reliable electricity or clean cooking fuels. The natural gas and oil produced by companies like Apache Corporation help power cleaner electricity, enable access to food, education, and healthcare, and connect us to those we love. We are committed to providing the energy the world needs and to elevating families across the globe to higher standards of living. Learn more at ApacheCorp.com. That's ApacheCorp.com. Now here's the show. Step back into this edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, and it is time for In the Lab. Drew Dory and I sat down and talked about the offensive line and offensive line coach James Campen. Hey, friends. Drew Dory and John Harris for a little In the Lab. And, man, John... Everything we just heard about over the last two hours, and we're taping this on uh, Tuesday morning around 1130, but over the last two hours, boy, we've got enough to enough content to give us about a month's <laughs> worth of work. And we're going to touch yeah. on just fingernail of what we just heard from the assistant coaches. Just about all of them spoke, offense, defense, and special teams, and heard some nuggets of, of some pretty good stuff. It's fun to hear from new, those guys, and many of them are new faces. Some of them are yeah. faces that are familiar. but one who is new and one who has a pretty high level of respect, both in the building, outside the building, around the league, is offensive line coach James Campen. On a personal note, before we get into uh, the offensive line chatter that you and I are going to discuss, he is a fun guy to chit-chat with because he's buddies with a lot of wrestlers. Uh, during his time in Green Bay as a player back in the 90s, mm -hmm. he came across a lot of those guys when they would come through and wrestle. And so uh, he's got story after story after story about, uh, about various wrestlers uh, around the WWF. It's now the WWE, but I grew up right. in the WWF. You did too. Same. And uh, he even cut a promo, and I put it in his, you know, like 14 things to know about James Camp. And he cut a promo uh, about Yokozuna way back in the day, but James Campen's a fascinating guy to talk with, and it's going to be fascinating to see what he does in reshaping, you know, helping out this offensive line because 
you know, it was good enough to help this offense and Deshaun Watson explode in the passing game last year, but right. it struggled at times early in the run game. And that's been the case really over the last six years. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, I think what they're going to do up front, it's going to go a long way towards the success of this football team. And I think it's, I actually am very optimistic about this offensive line because of some of the parts they brought in and because of this coach in camping. What about you, man? What do you think? I know you're, you're, you're a guy who has a green Bay, Wisconsin background, which he does as well. Yeah. You know about and value the trenches. What do you think? Well, first of all, we general question. I know, but yeah, we Mark and I tried to get him uh, to give us some Brett Favre stories, and he he started laughing and stopped and said, "I don't know how many of them I can share." So ah. I thought uh, we we had a chuckle at that. But he after you know, there's been so much talk about about camping. And when, you know, when the offensive line coaching job was available and like, okay, this is a massive hire. I mean, I would see people out, you know, who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? I was like, yeah, I don't know. And then I hear it's going to be James camp. And I'm like, Whoa, really? Wow. This is really good. But I, to that point had not seen him speak or talk or anything of that point. I just had seen the results up in green Bay in particular, where he had had a lot of success with that offensive line up there with a lot of the players up there. So I knew he came highly respected, but getting a chance to sit down with him and interview him one-on-one and you really get a feel for why he had that success. It really, I got done with an interview and I said to Mark, wow, that was really good. And not to compare to other offensive line coaches that have been here, John Benton and, um, you know, Mike Devlin, et cetera. I just really enjoyed talking, not just football, but everything uh, with James Campen. I mean, his answers were thought out, but yet um, he gave you something. And it was a really fun conversation. I did not know about the wrestling aspect, and I really wish I had um, because I would have hit him with that. But as a player in Green Bay, as a coach in Green Bay, he had been with the Browns and the Chargers. Mm -hmm. And so he was just – as enjoyable as, as any coach that we've had an opportunity to catch up with. And it was when we got done, it was as if, okay, I can understand what, what the hype is about. If you want to, if you want to say it that way, just how much he, I I could see why players like playing for him. I could see why his approach is successful for players in particular players that Maybe we're not drafted that high. Like David um, Bakhtiari, also, like David Bakhtiari, you know, mid-round. Yeah, David Bakhtiari, guy. TJ Lang. Left tackle, he's um, been an all-pro left yeah. tackle. Yeah, I mean, it's – He's been phenomenal. He's the highest-paid highest guy in the league for a reason, and a big mm-hmm. reason of that was James Campen. And when I asked him about that, you know, he said, he said, look, great players um, or great coaches are a result of great players. And those – I mean, he just did what – what every offensive line coach would do and pawn it off on the players. And I I just really enjoyed getting uh, to talk to him. But the one other thing that stood out to me, and it sounds kind of odd and I'll try, I'll make sure that I explain it properly because I think people hear and go, well, wait a second. Everybody talks about the offensive line being five fingers as a fist and working together and all that. But one of the things that I got out of our conversation was there's an individuality to learning particular positions, techniques, etc. And the understanding 
as an offensive line coach that there are going to be some guys that can do certain techniques. There are going to be some guys that that just aren't. There are going to be some guys that have a have the potential of learning a particular technique and they can work on it. But there are going to be things in which some guys don't look at that way. Like it's individualized learning amongst a team or unit setting. And I just thought, man, that's a really interesting approach because I've been a longtime proponent of that. And that, that was always my way when I was, when I was teaching Um, sometimes in coaching, I didn't always get that way. It was like, no, we're doing this particular technique. But when I started, when I had done it for a while and I was more confident in myself and I could see different things with different people, I thought about that, you know, different techniques that I would, uh, want different players to use because I knew they could. I knew they could learn it. I knew it could help them, but I knew other guys weren't going to be able to. But I always just think about this in teaching and uh, teaching in particular. When you sit down with somebody and you teach them math, you don't know. I, I, I used to say to them, I don't know what your background is. I have no idea what your background is. I'm going to give you what I think is the best way to learn this. But if you don't see it, we're going to try something else. And we're going to get to that best way for you to learn it. And that kept kind of reverberating in my mind. And and I was ruminating on that as I listened to him talk, that there is an individualization to a particular player playing in the NFL. Yet that has to all work within the group, and in particular his group, the one that's supposed to be you know, five fingers as a fist and all that kind of stuff. I was just really impressed with that thought process because there are a lot of coaches, NFL, high school, college. Nope. You do it this way. You do this kind of set. You do this kind of uh, kick step. This is how you do it. As opposed to, you know what? Let's try this. Does this work? Hey, maybe try this technique against Joey Bosa. Maybe try this technique uh, against some speed guys. It just felt like there was a little bit more in the – there was a little bit more there that I think players will be able to get from on the offensive line. And I hope – I hope it translates into the offensive line getting better and better and better um, and that we're talking about an offensive line that can go take over a game when it needs to. And not just by sheer force, but utilizing technique, um, utilizing uh, the coaching that they've learned – and putting that all to work to come up with a much better run game and good pass protection for whoever the quarterback is going to be. I think those things will happen. And yes, you've got to have talent. There's no question, but I think there is talent on this offensive line. Now the question to me, Drew becomes, how does that talent fit together? Yeah, what where does five guys, where does it fit? Who fits where? And that's where training camp to me is going to be, unbelievably exciting and fun to watch. I think really the only lock you can say is Laramie Tunsil is your left tackle. I think you're right. I, I mean, I don't know that I mean, we've heard from Justin Britt. He's the center. He, he spoke. He's the first offensive lineman that really spoke since OTAs began. I think that's, that can be a somewhat telling sign, but I don't know that he's totally solidified things and that's it. And you carve it in stone right. and bring it down from the mountain that, that he's the center. But, you know, I, I think this is going to be fascinating to watch from, you know, everything to the right of Tunsil. You got four spots that are not wide open, but open. 
And uh, I'm fascinated to, to see how that shakes out, when that shakes out, and how solidified that becomes once we get to week one. Do you yep. see shuffling like we did in 2018, or excuse me, 2019, when you know, they wound up winning 10 games? Or does it remain the same throughout health provided and, and you've got some, some, some stability there? I think once you get to a group you feel good about, and that was the thing in 2019, I remember going out to LA and you and I were standing yeah. next to each other. And I remember you saying, Sharping's in, Titus is in. And then I'm like, whoa, okay, well, that's the line we assumed that they would get to at some point. Maybe I, I thought Sharping was maybe a, a, a few weeks early, but I was like, okay, this is the line they've wanted to get to. All right, let's let this line grow together. And it ended up playing pretty well together. And it did that for about probably six, seven games. And then Titus got banged up um, and then he had to step out of the lineup. But they got to that lineup within three weeks, even though they had bounced some guys around. Titus had played week two at guard. Then he ends up moving out to tackle, right tackle. And now you go, okay, we're, we're sort of solidified here. I think as much as you can avoid the movement of – tackle to guard, guard to tackle within, within reason. You might have to because you may have a player that just doesn't get it done. You might have a player that gets hurt. You might have to do some of that. And I think that's where the versatility of this group comes in, that you have guys that have played different spots. But I think once you get solidified with a line and you feel good about it, that's, that's how they'll go about business uh, going forward. I have said I like the depth on yeah. this line. I think there are a lot of guys with a lot of starts. I think it is going to be coached very well, and I'm excited for that. And I am absolutely 1,000% with you, Drew. I, without question, feel like the only spot totally and completely solidified is Laramie's. Now, if you ask me how many guys do you think are absolute lock starters on the offensive line. I would say two. I just don't know exactly how they'll go about fitting those four other spots, but I think Laramie and Titus will be starters. I would yep. go to Vegas and put money on that. They would be starters to lock that in. I just don't know if they'll be starters. We know I, I, LT will be at LT. We know that. LT is LT. Yeah. Other than that, does Titus play guard? Does he play tackle? I know he'd like to play tackle. Um, but you got Marcus Cannon. You just got a lot of things that have got to shake itself out, and I'm really curious to see how that's going to happen. Mark my words, too. There's going to be a what reaction from at least one of these guys who winds up starting. Now, I'm not saying he's coming out of left field. I'm saying he's coming out of the upper deck, and he's going to surprise a lot of folks when he – I don't know who, but I know – I have my ideas. But there's going to be one unconventional guy that's uh, putting in a lot of time once the games get going. So just keep that under your hat. Well, I mean, Brandon Cooks probably can't play guard. He's going to have to play center. So, Well, now you're coming from the parking lot with that. I'm saying. Yeah. I'm, saying. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. I got you. I got you. I'm with Die you. Diehards have with stuck you. with us, you know, 10, 15 minutes into this podcast. You, you've been rewarded with that. So, hey, it uh, should be fun. Well, listen, John, it's always good talking with you. I'll yeah, – uh, See you very soon. Hopefully you're down in the dungeon. I'm up in the office and um, it's good to be, we got back in the offices this week, kind of yeah, it's good. as a company, all the business, yep. business ops folks and uh, all that. So it's been good to see a lot of people I haven't seen since, you know, before the pandemic oh. started. So 
It's uh, been amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it has been fun. That it certainly has been. All right, we'll go around the league quickly when we get back. Right here in Texas All Access. Right here in Texas All Access. Right here in Texas. Welcome back to this final segment of Texans All Access on this Wednesday evening from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. A short one, so we are going to buzz the tower like Maverick and Iceman and hit a quickie, a few things that happened during the day, over the last couple days, some a culmination of a career, if you will. We'll start there because the Denver Broncos are about to induct Peyton Manning into the Broncos Ring of Honor, which... On the surface, it's kind of like, hmm, I guess, okay. 2012 team, they won the AFC West, uh, lost in the division round playoff. 2013, they went to the Super Bowl. Peyton set all kinds of records in that season. 2014, they got ousted by the Colts. 2015, they went and won a Super Bowl. So in his four years there, was pretty impressive to say the least. So yeah, I guess it makes sense. Peyton Manning to go into the Broncos ring of honor. Now, a quarterback that is still playing. I think he's older than Peyton Manning. Is that right? Maybe. About the same. They're close. They're close. Tom Brady. His injury in 2020 of his knee was much worse than any of us knew. And I don't know if the Bucks will get in trouble for that. I don't remember what was on the injury report or not. But Brady has been, a, he's been in a little bit, didn't do a whole lot uh, during the offseason. I think he had a couple of practices where he was there. But it was a pretty big issue, apparently. And it was a little bit more extensive than people thought. Now, he does say that he thinks he'll be able to do some different things, that his knee is getting close to 100%, that he'll be ready to go. Uh, but he said it was an injury that he had been dealing with since last April and May of 2020, played through the season with it, and obviously played pretty darn well. That's scary uh, to think about. Speaking of injuries, Calvin Ridley is going to miss the next week and some change dealing with a foot injury that he is going to have a procedure on. It's being characterized as a little cleanup. And if you're a Falcons fan, you're going, oh my God, we traded Julio and now Calvin's going to have foot surgery? Well, just satiate yourself, Falcons fans, with the fact that you do have Kyle Pitts. And it does look like Ridley is going to be ready to go for training camp. So, might be a little cleanup. We'll miss a little bit of time, but not going to miss any training camp time. So, whatever's left of the offseason for the Falcons, Calvin Ridley will miss. But he will be back for training camp, and if you have Calvin Ridley as a dynasty fantasy owner, it's okay. Everything's going to go well. The Cowboys signed Micah Parsons today, four-year guaranteed deal as first-rounders sign in the fifth option year, uh, as we know first-round rookies uh, get. So that deal done for the Dallas Cowboys. And that's going to do it. A big thanks to Mark, to Philip Lindsay, to my man Drew Doherty, to all of you for listening. We'll see you tomorrow, and as always, go Texans.